So glad to have you watching. I was a college professor for years, and one time a student was uh, picked up the phone and called home, and he said, Mom, uh, I want you to remain calm, I'm okay. I was out with some friends, I was drunk driving, the car cr is totaled, uh, but I'm okay. And so the mom was like, you know, the, all those feelings that come with it, and then suddenly he turns around and he says, just kidding, mom, I want you to know I'm totally fine, the car's okay, I just wanted to let you know that I need some laundry money and wanted to say hello. Now just like you and me, when you hear some that news like that, your emotions race uh, crazy, like was, was it perhaps fear or anxiousness, especially if that was one of your children or a friend or, or a parent calling you. And then there was also probably a sense of relief because you realize it wasn't real at all, but, but it was just the kid playing with his mom's emotions. Emotions are a powerful, powerful thing, and, and we really believe that God has given those to us. And if, if we move with them properly, rather than them leading us in directions of fear, uh, but rather instead of in, in celebration of faith, good things can come from our emotions. So just like anything, if they're used proper, they're a good thing. One craft and creative art has chosen that to be such an incredible conduit, and that's music. And that's why we're going through the book of Psalms. So over the next few weeks, we're just gonna play for you our favorite songs and, and uh, give you the music. Now the word Psalm originally comes from the Greek, and the reason why it has a PS is because of the way that the Greek writes it. It's literally Psalms. And that just means a hymn or, or a spiritual song. The Hebrew translation, Tehillim, literally means to praise, to celebrate. Uh, to uplift, to 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 have, be filled with joy and shout it up and shout it out to God and out to the world around you. And if you look at the book of Psalms, it's probably easier that you look at them as, as the greatest hits, the greatest spiritual hits, the greatest human emotional hits of all time. And just like there are albums, or now we call those recordings because nobody, nobody owns albums anymore. There, there are five of them in the book of Psalms. There are five albums in that book. There's 150 songs. The longest one, Psalm 119, is literally 176 verses uh, long, or you could say 176 choruses long. The shortest one is Psalm 117, only has two short verses to it, and yet is so profound and broad with with what it is. Now here's the other thing about music. Now that we have iTunes and, and really very few people go out and buy music, you, you have to purchase it online. Yeah, you can listen to it free. You can listen to it free and avoid paying the price. Uh, you, you could do that. On the other hand, when you buy it, you actually own it. You know, the thing I've found about the book of Psalms is, is that if you're willing to pay the price like those that wrote those songs and download the truth and the message and the setting that's there, boy, there's a completely different value to it. None of us really treat things as well as we ought when we get them for free. But that's what these things are all about. Now, the, Psalm, the book of Psalms, we're going to jump into probably one of the most famous ones next to Psalm 23 and Psalm 1 in a minute, which is Psalm 51. I wanted to lead with just a good song. And if you look at them, there's all different kinds of styles in here. There's hymns, uh, which are really spiritual songs. There's songs that are apologies with genuine change. We call that repentance. There's, there's songs about wisdom. There's songs that are kingly, and it's about king and kingdom. Those are royal psalms. There's songs about Jesus. Those are messianic psalms. 
There's even some about social justice and precatory psalms that, that speak to the injustice and the wrong that's been done to people and to God's people and, and calls to God to say, come in, show up, show off, and set things right. And then last of all, and importantly, probably in the season that we're going through, there are songs about grieving. Laments are what they're called. So the book of Psalms, five books, 170 plus, uh, 150 songs available to you. I encourage you, don't just get the free version. Pick up the Word of God, download them into your spirit. And as we go through these, let it be the beginning of you just letting the music of God's, uh, God's, God's beauty speak into your life and let those truths be yours. Own them. And so with that, I want to take you to what I call the third most famous psalm in all of the Bible. And really, I should be saying it's, it's the most famous song. And it comes from David. This is the part that you've probably heard. And any of you who had a church background in Protestant circles have sung this at some point. Psalm 51. I'm going to focus real quick here for verses 10 through 12. God, this is King David, and he prays this, Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit or uphold within me a willing spirit. Keep, put the right kind of heart within me. I don't know if you've ever had a song that, that you heard as a kid and then realized you were singing the wrong words to it. And then when you're older, you hear it and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that it was, it was doing that. Uh, maybe you don't memorize well and that's not your case. But uh, these, these psalms are incredible if you not only have the right words, but instead of you imposing your meaning on scripture, that you go to the story behind the song. And that's what I want to do with this psalm today. And I'm going to end this session with a video recording from uh, a very beautiful and incredibly God-used singer. So after we're done here, don't shut it off. Stick through, listen to what God has to say fully, and let God have a chance to, to speak to you at the very end from this special guest from the past that we're going we're gonna to bring in. But I want to take you through three steps, really. I want to look at the story behind the song of this song, the Psalm 51. Then I want us to look at the song against the story of and see how how much it influenced everything he wrote. And then last but not least, that we would actually add a few verses and begin to harmonize with the chorus ourselves. So let's start here with the story behind the song. And it comes to us from what's called the superscript of the Psalms. Every once in a while, you just have the music and the words that are right there. And you can look it up on Google anywhere for any song that you have. Say, what are the, what are the words to this song? And it's, it's there. But every, in the book of Psalms, there are a lot of spots where they have this introduction to what the setting was for this. And this is what changes and brings rich meaning to Psalm 51. It says in the beginning in this superscript before the first, before the first note is struck, before the first word is sung, it says to the choir master, a Psalm of David. We know David wrote this. And the choir master is actually someone that he had put in the temple, a master musician who was over all musicians. His name was Asaph. And he's the lead musician. So this tells us that this situation that what we're about to look at, this song that was sung, David made it public. You know, every one, every one of us has things that we don't mind being 
public, but every one of us also has some things that we like keeping private. What's profound about this is, is that David made this a public song that he would put out there. And when you look at the background to it, the stories just, you'd say, why would he do that? I'll tell you why, because it is so hard to find a good story. Uh, I mean, you watch movies, there's action, there's romance, there's musical scores that move you over things that are just trivial. I almost feel in the 21st century, we are just, we are just emotionally burnt out from everything that blows up and everything that blows in and the, the, the they, every film and every uh, musical score has become so predictable. You could just tell how the thing's gonna end before it even, before it even gets halfway into it. You're like, I know where this is gonna happen. I know. It is so hard to find a good story. But to read these Psalms, when you can have the background, the sub superscript, the setting of it, it's almost like saying, don't tell me the joke, just give me the punchline. It doesn't work that way. Here's the punch to it. The superscript says to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went into him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Everything that happens in Psalm 51 you find the story that inspired it between 2 Samuel 11 through 2 Samuel 12. And I'd encourage you after this message, read through it. it. It will just blow your mind. And you say, why would David turn this into a not only a song, but a public song? You, know, you look at the story, it starts, it has all of the makings of of a story that is so unpredictable. Here's David, a man after God's own heart, the chosen person. He wasn't just a king, he was a musician. He wasn't just a musician, he was a warrior. He wasn't just a warrior, musician, and king. He was the person that God said, that's the kind of man I love. That's the kind of person I, I adore. This is a person David was referred to as a man after God's own heart. But somewhere between him being a man after God's own heart, Jeremiah says the hearts of wicked and beyond cure who can know it. We see adultery, murder, tragedy. And amazingly, after all of that collateral damage, God, in the way that he always does things, in the way that he wants to do things for you, he ends it with hope. You, as we read through the Psalm, you might see yourself in the story, or maybe not the exact same situation, but you might be saying, my life's a mess. Being in stay-at-home confinement right now, one of the worst things that, that's happening is this, we're musing through our mistakes. We're, we're, we're magnifying the ones of the people that we're trapped in the house with, and we're focusing on all of these things. And you might be saying, man, there's just no hope. There's always hope when, when God is in the song. And you see, this is a beautiful thing about Jesus. He always gets the right to add the last line to our song, to add the last line to our story, He's the one that's able to give meaning to our life when we've, we've mangled it. And so it's not just about the story behind the song, but look at this. In simple, David sees Bathsheba on a roof taking a bath. That's in the ancient world. You could do that, but the way he was living, you could see on an angle. He saw her from a distance. This was not a woman who was trying to seduce him. In fact, when you read the language, it says that, uh, when, when Nathan the prophet confronts him, it, it's clearly not a, a, a story about seduction. It's a story about rape. Uriah was her husband. And the Bible says, in the time where kings go to war, David sent Joab, his servants, and Israel 
and he stayed at home. And while he was on the palace, he looked and beheld, and he, behold, he saw Bathsheba bathing. You know what? We are warriors. We don't run from battles. We run to them. And when we try to insulate ourselves from the challenges of life, rather than facing them, and those I'm speaking specifically to men, you, you may feel hollow right now. You know what the truth of the matter is? God has made you to be a warrior, to run two battles and not to run from them and to face challenges and not hide from them, to confront and defend the weak and, and to be that person that stands up as a warrior, not with the absence of fear, but doing what needs to be done in the face of it. And David, for the first time in his life, takes a break from it and it gets him in trouble. And then he ends up bringing her in and sleeping with her. She becomes pregnant and is his, the woman's wife, Uriah, comes to the home and visits David. David says, bring Uriah to me, brings him in. He, he tries to tell him, uh, go home and be with your wife. He won't do it. The man sleeps at the door of David's palace to protect the king. And he says, why didn't you go home with your wife? He's hoping he'll go home with his wife and he can peg the pregnancy on Uriah. But no, he doesn't. He says, why, aren't you, why, why are you here? And he says, I can't do this, my king. So then finally he decides to get him drunk. And he says, go home, but still he doesn't go home. David knows now with her pregnant and Uriah not being the man, something's going to get exposed. So what does he do? He does what many of us do, the tragedy of human behavior. We try to cover up our mistakes rather than confess them to God. And he sets up a murder. He tells, the, he tells his general, Joab, he says, bring Uriah to where the battle is the, is the strongest and then remove the men so that nobody technically kills him, but the circumstances, but he sets him up on a suicide mission. You can see in the picture right here that this is actually the place and the city where of Rabbah, where, where Uriah was sent by Joab. It's, it's literally an uphill climb. And then at the top of this high slope is, is a wall. He didn't stand a chance. David set him up to kill him. He couldn't, he couldn't hide his sin. He wouldn't confess his sin. So he begins to kill everything that would point the evidence back to him. He tries to cover it up. And then what happens? The baby is born. Now, I, I want to be very careful here. Do not apply the story of the death of this child to any loss of any child you may have ever experienced. It's when God speaks to a situation. And here we have in the Bible, God speaking to it. So, so it, is, it, is a, it is a mistake to say that, or to try to speak on God's behalf and say, this tragedy happened, this marriage miscarriage happened, this um, birth defect and, and death was, was the judgment of God. Absolutely not. No more than it is appropriate for us to say that this sickness is God's judgment on us. It's not, it's not whose fault it is. It, it's what do we do and how do we react in the middle of these times? That's where God's at, is how, knowing these things, how ought we to conduct ourselves? But in a tragic uh, turn of events, God says, this child is, is, is going to pass away. David spends an entire night with no food, weeping uncontrollably, and the baby passes. Here's the turn of the story and the hope to it. In, this, in the story behind the song, David afterwards marries Bathsheba, and then she gives birth to another child, who's Solomon, who is the king that follows David, who is the author of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And at one point, the prophet Nathan, who confronts David, says, don't call him Solomon. 
I'm going to call him Jedediah, which means loved by God. There's the hope. There's the hope. God, listen, you, you might be on your second or third marriage. You might not even be married. You might have all kinds of tragedies surrounding the story behind your song and event, but God always gets to speak at the closing of the story. Now here's, here's really going to the song up against the background of that story. Let's bring that first to the forefront. Look at this. David says this, verse one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And then he goes on and says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly uh, from my sin, from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And he goes, purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And then a little bit further, he says, deliver me from blood guiltiness. In other words, God, deliver me from murder. Clean me from this act. You know, it's, it's pretty pathetic for David to just do premeditated cold-blooded killing, to rape this woman, and to, to, to try to cover it up and think that that's okay and everything's going to go on. Like, you could almost just, then he goes on and he says, God created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. You're almost like, what a hypocrite. God, God, just here's what human nature would say. Not what God would say, but here's what human nature would say. Why? David, you want to be mercy? You want mercy? Where was mercy for Uriah? You want me to blot out your sins? Are you kidding me? You blotted out the life of Uriah to cover over your sins. Uh, you want to be clean? You want to be washed away? Oh, really? Like Bathsheba on the rooftop who's washing herself? And then you want to be clean from, from literally the rape that you committed against this woman? And then he goes on and he says, oh, God, your unfailing love. Are you seriously the kind of love that you showed Bathsheba, the kind of love that you showed to the unfailing loyalty of Uriah? I mean, it, you look at this and, and David says it so well in verse 3. And maybe you see this in your own life for the things that you're trying to cover up, for the things that you're trying to insulate yourself from, for the places where you found yourself when you should have been over here confronting and challenging and defending, but instead you were relaxing, insulating, and isolating yourself, not in solitary confinement, but from doing what was right and good. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And if you're anything like me and the stupid things that I've done in my life and in the times I've tried to, to just cover them over, I, it, it doesn't matter how many people you kill. It doesn't matter how many, how well you hide the evidence. When you're alone and you're looking at the ceiling of your room in your bed or the mirror, or even the people that you hid it from, your conscience is torturing you. Not, not at first. Look at David, not at first. David murdered a man, raped a woman, went to bed. But here's, the, here's what's powerful. It starts off in the story. It says, when Nathan the prophet came into David after he had gone into Bathsheba, he uh, she's just, Nathan walks in and he says, let me tell you a story, David. There's a guy uh, in town and he, he makes it sound like it's a real story. He says, there's a guy in town and he's, he uh, had a whole bunch of lambs, but there was this one guy with one baby lamb. And when the rich man had a guest, he didn't want to kill any of his. So he stole the lamb and murdered it. That language is showing that, that Bathsheba is a victim, not 
a willing seductive seductress. She's not. She's a victim. And David is that violent individual. In fact, David hears a story because sheep are close to his heart. He was a shepherd before he was anything, before he was a warrior, before he, was, before he had a following, and before he ever became king. He was a shepherd. He Maybe to us, it's the equivalent of pets that we have, like dogs or cats. Or, but he, he loved. That, that was a soft spot for him. Here's what I would challenge you with. Sometimes our wealth, our comforts, we can insulate our conscience. And we, we substitute a right life by just feeding ourselves and overfeeding ourselves with whatever it is that gets our conscience off of doing what we need to and covering up what we shouldn't have done. And David, he got Uriah drunk to go home with his wife, but David was drunk with power. He was drunk with, with, with his authority that he could just make anything he wanted to happen. And it was so inappropriate. And I, I tell you what, I've known people who have had nothing and other people who've had millions. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, you can, you can be right with God on either ends of those spectrums. But it is amazing. You can also be completely wrong with God and use what little you have to try and placate your conscience and your guilt and your shame. But just like David, your sin will ever be before you. He says, deliver me from blood, blood guiltiness. Really? You want God to let it slide? You want to ignore it? You want to let guilt go free? Yes. Yes. You see, this is the part that I mean about God being able to write the last line of your story. God's not out for blood. He's out for blessing. God isn't out for sacrifice. He's out to save you and me. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. It doesn't matter how low you've gone. It doesn't matter how far you've reached or how expansive you've covered up. There is a God in heaven when you reach that point when, when, that wants to just reach into your life like Nathan the prophet and, t- and say, you're that person, you're that man. Like David, he, he, Nathan's listening to him and he, he says, where is this guy that stole this lamb? I'm going to kill him. I'm going to destroy him. And Nathan looks at him and he says, David, you're that man. You're that person. There's a reason why peace lose you. There's a reason why your conscience is constantly having to get colored by you covering it, and yet it still bleeds through. It's because true peace comes only through true confession. And David knew that about God. In the book of Exodus, it begins where he says that God is keeping with steadfast love, forgiving sin, wickedness, and unrighteousness, or sin, uh, guilt, iniquity, transgression, and sin. He by no means clears the guilty, but he can forgive them. He can forgive them. That's really where we come to the last part of this truth here, is the story really singing the chorus. It's, it's really, what I want to do is teach you a psalm of repentance. That's what Psalm 51 is. Knowing all this, how, how do I... How do I apply it to my life? How do I download it? You see, this is the point where you don't have to pay the price. You could just say, I'll just bootleg it and listen to this click, click, skim, skim. No, I'm a friend. You don't value it and you really don't get the story behind the song and you don't get the song behind the story unless your story starts singing the chorus. Let me teach you 
what a psalm of repentance looks like in our own life. David and you might be insulating yourself from guilt. He says this, he says, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then he says this in verse six, this verse 16, verse six, he says this, you desire truth in the inward parts. Honest to God. Instead of ignoring God and covering up your sin, it begins with being honest to God. David said it like this, against you and you alone have I sinned. That's how you sing a song of repentance. You own your junk. And David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. The virus of sin is that it's violence against God. It, it, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to him. When, when David, David raped God's justice. He murdered God's truth. When David was singing that song, he knew what that looked like because he saw King Saul, where the Bible says that the spirit of God departed from him. And now David's like, oh God, I know what this looks like. When you leave, please don't do that to me. You might be a Christian for a long period of time, but it's probably been a long time since you've sensed God's presence. Maybe it's time that we pulled the cover off the cover up, realize that it's God who we've, we've severed relationship with. It's truth that we've murdered and insulated ourselves from and tried feeding happiness instead of having peace with God. See, David goes on at the end of that psalm, and he says a couple of things that turns the tragedy into a testimony. See, if you take this step, God can take your song from a tragedy into a, into a song of praise and a testimony of righteousness because there is no sin so bad, and there is no pit so deep that God's love can't reach you there. Listen to this. He says this, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then he says this, then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. When you get your life right with God, those of you that maybe at one time you had an encounter with God, and it's been so long since you've sensed his presence, and you've insulated and isolated yourself, and you've covered up a life of sin, and God is trying to get a hold of you right now. You're sensing his presence even as I'm talking to you. David said this, when he, when he acknowledges that God can forgive him and he has an honest-to-God conversation, the first step is doing it vertically and saying, you know, Jesus, please forgive me. This is what the cross is for. The, the, with, with the blood of Christ, that, that, that can cleanse you. And just like Easter, we said you can't live at the cross and you can't live in the tomb. We need to move forward in newness of life. And that newness of life means that we begin to sing new songs of praise to God. Why? Because he forgive you. He can forgive you for anything you've done. He can change it. And listen, songs of repentance are, are songs of, of, of change with action to them. It doesn't mean that we turn a revolving door into sin, Jesus, thanks, and go out and do the same thing. But we begin to say, make me a new person. And then we go out and we say, hey, look at this praise. Let me tell you about the God that forgave me. If he can forgive me, he can forgive anyone. And not only that, but he, 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 he has a new song in his heart. And you might know somebody that they're always smiling and they're always talking about Jesus. They're not talking about God and they're not talking about Christianity. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about, let me tell you about the Savior who forgave me my sin, who changed me. And all I want to do is tell people about it. And, and 
That's where David says, listen, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And I'll tell people about you. It's been a long time since you had a song for your, for your Savior. Your Christianity might have been an ongoing existence. Could it be because there's a cover over something that needs to come up before him and you so that you can have genuine, unless you have genuine truth and honesty with God, you never experience genuine and true forgiveness. It starts vertically. And then he gives us the courage to go horizontally. That's called restitution. That's what this song is about. That's what this psalm is about. And that's what I'd like to be about right now. I'd like to pray for you. And here's what I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray whether you have never been right with God or you have one time in your life had a relationship with him, but you know it's all wrong. You were right with him, but it's all wrong. It's time to get honest with God. This song is your song. And Jesus wants to write the last verse. You know what that last verse for David was? He gave Bathsheba, became pregnant, and gave birth to Solomon. And Nathan called him Jedediah, loved of the Lord. There might be some unlovely parts of your life. There are of everybody's. You're not alone. Every person does it. But you, what you might not have, is that last verse to that song where God says, I do forgive you. I will forgive you. I will change you. When David says, create in me a clean heart, he's using the same word that God used when he created the world. David knew what you and I feel right now. There is no cleaning this heart. You've got to recreate it. That's what God wants to do. He wants to recreate you in his image. He's not looking for you to be Christ-like. He wants you to like Christ so much that you allow him to be who he is through your life. You're never going to be good enough. And that's what we're going to pray, if you would. Remember, in a moment here, we've got one thing to close off with. I encourage you to watch it. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, as I pray, I ask that your presence would fill the room and pull back the curtain of what's been covered up in our life. We admit to you that it is against you and you alone that we've offended, that we've sinned. Make us new. We come to the cross of Jesus. Lord, we are horrible sinners, but you are an unmatched savior. We sing this to us. Oh God, our sin is ever before us. Cleanse us and we'll be clean. Lord, forget the cleansing. There's no way of cleaning this. Create in us a new heart. Make us right with you again. Don't take your presence from us. I pray right now the presence of God would begin to re-enter people's lives for the first or for the second or the 50th time in their life. And they would begin to sing thanks to you that you're the God that can only, that, that only you are the one that is able to clean up this mess and then end the story with the birth of something new. I pray right now as those that are praying and lifting their hearts and agreeing with this prayer that you would begin the last part of this song and you would rewrite the story as tragic as it may be, you would turn it into triumph. And we would not only acknowledge you and have joy in our life, but we would begin to tell others about it. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer, we, they're right on the side. There's a spot where you can click raise your hand. We'd like to hear that. If you've got a story about what God did in your heart today, email office at lolag.org. encourage you to go to our website, lolag.org. But I want you right now to take a look at a man who wrote a song years ago, Create in Me a Clean Heart, Renew a Right Spirit Within Me. But really, this song here was written by his wife saying, God, make my life, now that I've been forgiven of my sin, now that you've created in me a clean heart, make my life a prayer to you. Let me die and let Christ live in me. I hope you're blessed by it. It's classic. And whether you're young and you've never seen this, or you're older and your heart goes back to it, without a doubt, you'll sense the presence of God on it. God bless you. And we'll see you throughout the week online and see you next Sunday in live stream. I just want to close with a song that the Lord gave my wife. It's really neat to sing your wife's song.
you give to me. I want to share the love that set me Make it easier for Jesus to come back this next year by living the life he asked you to live so that others don't have to make excuses for the reason, for what, make excuses why Christians don't live the way Jesus asked them to. Let's just bow our heads and ask the Lord to pour out his spirit on us as we leave. Lord Jesus, we come before you, nothing but Vessels made out of dust, Lord, that's held together by your Holy Spirit. We realize that we move and have our being in you. There's nothing we can do on our own. We're helpless creatures without you. And in you, Lord, we're, we're, we're more than conquerors. Lord Jesus, help us conquer the hypocrisy around us. And help us conquer the hypocrisy right inside of us. Through your Spirit and through the blood you shed. And as we go, Jesus... Let us realize that the word Christian means little Christ, and we're supposed to be little Jesuses walking around by your grace. And in Jesus' name, we ask that you let that be in our lives in the next few days, the next few years, so that when you come back, we won't be ashamed at your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. Thank you so much for joining us for our online services. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.